I'm Dr. Victoria Reinhartz. I am the Chief Executive Officer of Mobile Health Consultants, and I am a consultant pharmacist for mobile integrated health and community paramedicine teams across the nation who are looking to solve the access to care problem. All right, great, great. So this is Dr. Bartu with Pill Talk Podcast. We have another episode, a great episode. Uh, we have Dr. Victoria Reinhartz, um, CEO of Mobile Health Consultants. Yeah. She's into mobile integrated healthcare with pharmacists being integrated with it, with paramedics to bring healthcare to underserved communities. So we have a great episode with a lot of information. So make sure you check it out. So Dr. Reinhardt, how are you doing today? I am doing great. You know, it is a, a travel week for me. So I'm getting to carve out a couple of days to spend some quality time with the kids and, and do some pool hours and things. I live in sunny Tampa, Florida. So, nice. you know, we get to do the pool in April here while it's snowing in other areas. So it, it's really actually a good week. How about yourself? Man, it's going well. It's going well. I do wish I was in Tampa to get some <laughs> of that warmth because out here in D.C., one minute is hot. Next minute is cold. We're still going through that <laughs> influx of temperatures. So hopefully summer finally hits and we stays in the 80 degree weather. <laughs> oh, I hope so for you. It's really beautiful here. So I'm sorry to rub that in a little bit. <laughs> nah, you're good. So I just want to jump right into it. Um, Because you started off as a pharmacist. Can you give us how you got into pharmacy? Yeah, so this is actually a, a really fun story. I was in college and I was an accounting major, kind of good at math, kind of good at numbers and wasn't really passionate about it, but that's what I was doing. And I was waitressing on the weekends to put myself through college. And someone sat in my section in the restaurant who was a pharmacist. And he kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, I've been paying attention to you waitressing here. And I've I've noticed that you're you have a really good short term memory and you can balance the priorities of a lot of different tables at one time and you can communicate with people. And I just think that, you know, you have a lot of potential to go into healthcare. And have you ever thought about being a pharmacist? And at that time, I didn't even know what pharmacists were what they did. I had, you know, uh, never been exposed to that career as an option. And I went home that night and I told my, I called my best friend and I said, you won't believe what this, what this guy said to me today. And she said, oh, well, the, the pharmacy next door to me is hiring. You should go in there as kind of a joke. And then I just did, I went in and I said, are you hiring? And they said, yeah, can you start Monday? And that's that. So four days later, I'm working my first shift in a pharmacy and I fell in love with it and I loved the patient care element. And uh, so that's that's really how, um, you know, I fell in love with the profession and and then I went to pharmacy school and that's that. Man, that's great. Something so simple as like a, a minor conversation turned into like a whole thing that changed your trajectory in life. Yeah. And, you know, I wish that I could go back and find that individual. You know, I wish I had gotten his name and his information and things so that I could thank him because he literally changed my life. But I think it goes to show that 
you know, as professionals, when you invest in people, when you invest in people and you take the time to acknowledge skill sets of people and, uh, you know, you can really pivot and, and help them to achieve incredible things. And I'm so thankful for that pharmacist who just took two minutes to talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little off topic, but on topic. So I read a book a month. So for the month of April, I'm reading the book, The Alchemist, right? Oh. And that's part of the book, like how they, in a book, it calls omens, but just signs come to you to help you develop and get to your personal legend, like your personal purpose in life. And like that guy was like a sign for you to become who you are today to lead you into the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And now I think you've got me intrigued to read that, <laughs> read that book. That sounds awesome. Um, I try to read a fair amount um, myself. I have just finished reading um, a book called uh, Procrastinate on Purpose. It's by Rory Vaden. And uh, it's essentially this book where um, he helps to kind of give you permis permission or help you figure out that it's acceptable to eliminate things off your plate that maybe other people feel are important, but you're recognizing aren't in alignment with your own goals or, or really maybe aren't actually important or urgent enough to really need to even get done. Um, and then also figuring out, so of the things that do need to get done, what can I automate? What can I delegate to someone else and support? And uh, finally, if something has to be done by me, does it have to be done right this second or can I delay that, right? Does it have to be done right now? Yeah. And so it kind of is permission to procrastinate on purpose and make the best use of the time that you have right now. So it's been, it's been, it's been a great lesson for me. Yeah, nice. Uh, that kind of reminds me of something I came across in one of my leadership seminars uh, conferences and went it was like a quadrant it's like what's important what's urgent and I think I forgot, I forgot the other two is like what's urgent okay but that might not be important so that can just hold off what's yep. important might not be urgent but you need to get it done so just mm -hmm. kind of like figuring out what things need to be and just doing it in the correct order yeah absolutely yeah it's that it's that classic grid that if something falls into that not urgent and also not important. I, I might not even need to do that at all, yeah. right? So, um, and and I'm sure you can relate. You have you have so many things going on. You have this podcast. You have your full time job. You got so much on your plate. You know, there's so many hours in the day. We have to start to be a little bit more selective and figure out how we can automate or delegate or eliminate it if it's not necessary. True. 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 So you told us how you got into pharmacy and uh, started your career. How did you develop from that point to becoming one of the top 50 most influential leaders in pharmacy? Doesn't that blow? That blows my mind. It, it just really does. I still can't even believe that that happened. I, um, you know, I think it was a series of events where I said yes to opportunity. And I really began to um, dig into my passion. And I think we all have this point um, in, in, you know, if, you, if it never happens and, and you never feel like, 
uh, I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm not fulfilled. That's great. That means you're on the right path. But I think a lot of us, uh, especially in the healthcare profession right now, are recognizing that maybe we're not doing uh, in my day-to-day work, what I feel most passionate about or what is most helpful to the care of my patients. And um, as more and more healthcare providers struggle with burnout, I think figuring out new opportunities for you to say yes to that help you grow as an individual and help um, uh, step into you contributing to what you're passionate about and helping that industry or that area or you know that aspect of patient care grow that is really valuable um, from for so many reasons, right? Because it can it can open different doors and opportunities for you to eventually make a full career shift, which is where I have now found myself. Um, but I think it can saying yes to new opportunities can also breed a lot of self content and uh, can is good food for the soul, I guess, so to speak. Um, you know, so I, uh, I was working in a retail setting. So I was a community pharmacist. I was a pharmacy manager for Target, you know, back when Target was Target Pharmacy. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. You know, I loved caring for my patients, but I, I knew I was probably um, destined for additional things. So I just started saying yes to opportunities. I started saying yes to becoming a trainer for the district. I, I said yes to um, speaking at local events, like for the Rotary Club or for the college, et cetera. And I just started taking chances to learn new skills, develop myself in new ways. And then I was um, offered a professor role because I had kind of differentiated myself in that in that sense. And um, even once I became a faculty member and a professor, I started saying yes to opportunities like, can you come do education on cannabis? I wasn't really an expert in cannabis, but I quickly became one, right? I started to learn a lot about it and said yes to the opportunity. Can you come do some consulting with us for the health department? Or can you help us manage our tuberculosis patients? I said yes to that, even though I wasn't a TB expert, but I developed that skill and that knowledge. And really saying yes to different opportunities is what got me involved in mobile integrated health when I was brought in to, you know, provide some expertise on what medication challenges um, patients who are frequently calling 911 might have. And that was kind of the birth of, of how I got involved in mobile integrated health. So, um, and I don't know, uh, Dr. Barshi, do you have, are you super familiar with MIH or would it be beneficial if I do a quick recap? Yeah, please, please uh, give a recap because I don't think a lot of people have heard about it or really know the impact that it can have. So, yeah, please. Yeah, absolutely. So when I say that I'm an MIH consultant uh, or a community paramedicine consultant, that is an unusual term. So the concept of community paramedicine is basically you know, identifying uh, the biggest healthcare needs in our communities, right? So we all know that there are communities with poor and underserved populations, populations that don't have access to the healthcare that they need because they're either uninsured or underinsured. They can't navigate the healthcare system because there's a healthcare provider shortage or because they have dementia or a substance use disorder or whatever the issue is, right? 
So they can't they can't access care that they need. They end up calling 911. They use the ER as their primary care. And we know that this results in two things. Number one, rising healthcare costs. The total cost of care per patient will go up. Number two, the actual disease control and health outcomes of that patient is not as good if there's no continuity of care. So what I do is I help to work uh, with teams and uh, local governments and associations and physician groups that want to take a healthcare team and then mobilize it to that community to eliminate all of those access to care issues and actually get that patient the resources that they need so that we can have improved health outcomes and reduction in healthcare costs. So mobile integrated health and community paramedicine are this concept of actually utilizing paramedics, putting them, taking them off an ambulance and putting them in an SUV or, you know, another vehicle and um, mobilizing them into the community to help identify and resolve these issues. That's community paramedicine. And then mobile integrated health is taking those community paramedics and partnering them with a nurse practitioner, a social worker, a pharmacist, right? Or whatever other healthcare provider is necessary to resolve all of those complex issues that that patient has going on. Nice. All right. So let's just go through this really quick. All right. I'm in the community. I don't have healthcare or I'm unable to get to healthcare properly. So instead of calling 911, I will give a call to mobile health to get mm-hmm. one of the paramedics to come out to see me um, in their SUV and they will consult me, um, give me medications if I need it. And then they will go back to a nurse practitioner, to a pharmacist, and have that person do a follow-up with the patient to make sure that they're taking the medications properly, make sure that they're on the right track to better health. Yep, you you got it. I mean, like first time, you got it right <laughs> away. Yeah, and sometimes we even send the the NP and the paramedic out together, or an EMT and a par- and a nurse practitioner. And sometimes, you know, like when um, when I did our three year pilot embedded within a paramedicine program, it, we actually sent the paramedic and the pharmacist together to mm-hmm. the patient's home, so that while the paramedic was assessing you know, the patient's vitals and functional status and all of those things and doing a home safety assessment and, uh, you know, evaluating uh, the resources and needs from a social, you know, socioeconomic or social needs standpoint, you know, as the pharmacist, I would be back there uh, reviewing diagnoses, reviewing recent lab work, looking at the meds, doing a med reconciliation, and then providing some counseling to the patient on their medicines or, or what we could do right now here today with the medicines that uh, will help to get, you know, this high blood pressure under control or the blood sugar to a a degree that's less dangerous. And so, um, yeah, there's so many different approaches. And now with telehealth, right, you can have a paramedic in the home and just get a provider right on telehealth or a pharmacist or a social worker or, or you name it. So this is very interesting and I like it. Um, because when I was in pharmacy school, I got certified in this thing called MTM, which is medication therapy management. And what you just described when you was with the paramedics was medication therapy management. You would get the med rec from the hospital, from the pharmacy, wherever they go to. You will 
look into it, make sure there's no interactions, anything like that, and then give the best advice to the nurse practitioner, to the paramedic, to make sure that that person has the best outcome, right? Um, yep. Mm-hmm. So that's really great because I know a lot of pharmacists, like we was talking about earlier, feels like they want to practice or doesn't um, practice at the highest level that they can. And this, when you use the MT, MTM um, approach, a pharmacist is really practicing at the top of his license. So mm-hmm. to back up a little, um, I know you're MTM certified. So can you tell us how can a pharmacist be more involved in this and, and step into this role of being part of the uh, MIH? Yeah, so I and this is where I get really excited because I have big dreams and big goals. Uh, I really believe that every single paramedicine or mobile integrated health team deserves access to a pharmacist. And uh, right now I am embedded in helping to provide the education and support to MIH teams to figure out operationally how they need to make sure that they're identifying when patients have medication issues. Um, So I think that's step one is is really ensuring that across the nation that teams are recognizing how big of an issue the medications really are, right? You know, we know that medical errors and medication errors are what top third cause of death, you know, depending on the year that you're looking at it and in the the stats for that year. We know that, um, you know, somewhere around 50% of the hospital readmissions are due to either non-adherence or an adverse drug event or some sort of drug interaction or something related to the medications, right? So teams are really starting to realize and physician groups are starting to realize and health systems are starting to realize that there is a huge medication component. And, uh, you know, if I can continue to do my, what I feel is my calling, uh, that, you know, in addition to setting that up as part of the normal standard process for these teams that we also work to identify the med issues and get those resolved, that uh, I can help to equip every single MIH team across the nation with a pharmacist. And so I have a lot of things in process right now with clients of mine where we're we're trying to work to establish that network and that capability. And then my hope is uh, in months upcoming that we'll have training courses for pharmacists that uh, that can be taken to help position you and, and set you up for success into stepping into a role like that. All right. So I think we need to go back a little bit. You told us what MIH is, Mobile Integrated Health. All right. When did you start this business? And then um, first, I just start there. Like, when did you start the business and how did you come up with this idea to start it? You know, I started it as a side hustle. I mean, (laughs) the truth (laughs) of it is that I was recognizing that I was doing a fair amount of speaking and a fair amount of, um, you know, consulting and that uh, I just probably needed an entity to um, to start documenting that additional income and and that there was potential for something in the future, right? And so it kind of just started as a side hustle. And um, so I founded the business in 2022, uh, sorry, 2020. And then 
you know, over the next year, 18 months, I just kind of was doing gig work here and there. And uh, now really over the last, you know, year, the last six months, we've really picked up and, and now I find myself regularly recruiting, you know, outside consultants or additional pharmacists or other experts to come in and um, help to provide interprofessional consulting support for people. So that's, it's been great. It's a, it's a period of a lot of growth, but um, you know, again, I just, I knew that this was in my heart to help support this industry, to help support these communities, which I, you know, I don't know, I don't care where you're from, you know, that either in your community or near to your community, there are people that cannot access the healthcare system. And it just feels unacceptable to me when we have this solution, which can easily be implemented and can help to resolve that. Yeah. Um, what's so interesting for me is like, I've never heard it, not never heard, but this is the first that this has come across me, right? Is this something that um, you're starting out that is that you want to branch off into other cities and states? Are you looking to do that? Yeah, it's so the industry as a whole is growing immensely. You know, when I got involved in the concept of community paramedicine uh, was with the Manatee County Community Paramedicine, Florida and the Tampa Bay area. And and. You know, at that time, I don't know, there were probably like 60 different programs across the whole nation. So very uncommon that uh, that this solution had been trialed or piloted. Um, and, you know, now there's several hundred for probably three or four hundred, if I had to guess, uh, different types of programs. And they are they are now being born out of health systems. They're being born out of fire departments out of local EMS or emergency medical service agencies. They're being born out of physician groups and ACOs, so accountable care organizations who are recognizing that they have a few patients that are really expensive and they're hard to reach. They don't come in for their appointments or they have all these socioeconomic issues that, that prevent them from really having a good handle on control of their diseases. And so these accountable care organizations are recognizing that mobilizing a healthcare team and going to that patient is a really effective way to reach their sickest and most expensive patients. So really, it's an industry that's growing by leaps and bounds. And one of my um, huge passions and, and labors of love over the last year and a half or so, we did just write the... Uh, the accreditation standards, so the national accreditation standards for quality and safety and, and team training for mobile integrated health programs. And that was done um, through service with CAMES, which is the Commission on Accreditation for Medical Transport Systems. And so really exciting that now the industry has grown enough that we actually have just developed and ratified as a board the uh, accreditation standards for the industry. Nice, nice. And I see that you are on the board of directors for the National Association of Mobile Integrated Healthcare Providers. 
It is. Isn't that a mouthful? (laughs) 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 You did really well. You didn't trip up on it or anything. Uh, Yeah. So it's N-A-M-I-H-P, which is NAMI HP is kind of how we we say it because it's way easier than the tongue twister. But yeah, it's the first national association that is advocating for mobile integrated health and the providers of this type of care across the nation. You know, so there's a lot of different agencies from fire and EMS and hospital that have dabbled in it, right, in trying to create some framework and support for this model of care. But this is the first national organization to really own this concept and advocate for this concept and provide a network for people wanting to get involved and contribute to this model of care. So if anybody has questions about uh, about NAMI HP or should I try to say it (laughs) N-A-M-I-H-P, feel free to reach out to me. And I don't know if you want to post my LinkedIn in the the show notes or anything like that, Um, but connect with me. I'll help get you connected to our executive director. We'd love to have you become a member. There's certainly a, a lot of growth in the industry and there's huge opportunity. Um, and I think the same could be said, you know, not only if you're wanting to join NAMI HP, but if you're listening to this and you work for an ACO or you work for a health system and you're like, man, we should do this. We should launch this type of program. Then, you know, reach out to me. I'm, I can, I can help. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. All right. So let's say you have an aspiring entrepreneur who's in the healthcare field. They come across N-A-M-I-H-P <laughs> and they wants to know how can they get started in this, right? Mm-hmm. So with being on the board of directors, have y'all set up a um, process and procedures checklist to help people start or do y'all have anything to, to help someone start to get into this industry? Yeah, we actually are putting together um, entire toolkits of resources that'll be available for members on the website. The other thing is that once you become a member, you get access. So every quarter we do like free webinar type content where you can log on, sit alongside the board of directors and get to hear the success stories and strategies and tips and points of how do we get this started? How did we launch this program? How do we track our success? You know, what are, what are the, um, what are the mistakes that we made and how did we fix that, right? Uh, so we actually have people that are out doing this work that come on and do this, these lectures. And, and we also do, um, we just did a leadership summit and we also do an annual summit in the fall where we have, uh, you know, people from all over the nation who have established different types of programs, whether it's health system or EMS based or, you know, out of a a partnership with a physician group. And we have them come and tell their stories and and provide a networking opportunity at a live summit. So there's there's immense value if you're really wanting to get involved in the space. The organization is is of immense value, just the networking alone to be around and sitting in these rooms with people that are doing this work amazing yeah i know um based on the description of it and how you guys are helping people i know something like this could be very um beneficial for the community that i serve because i work in a in an underserved area uh low income um most of the people there uses the emergency room as their primary source of seeing a doctor, right? 
They don't have a primary care. They don't have a dentist. They don't. The only time they really see a, a medical provider regularly is when they come to the pharmacy. Right. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's a shame, but they, because they are being able to see someone and I am able to help them with giving them knowledge. But it only goes so far because I'm unable to prescribe them anything. I'm unable to uh, talk to their talk to a provider for them because their main provider is a hospitalist. And as you know, excuse me, um, a hospitalist doesn't see the patients regularly. Like mm -hmm. they just see them when it comes in. They do what they can for them. They stabilize them and they send them back out. So I know things like this will be like, will change the outcome of these people lives that I help. Well, and I really appreciate you commenting on that because you're exactly right. Pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare provider, right? And we're also one of the most uh, highly trusted healthcare providers that are available. And, uh, and yet you and I both working in the, in the community setting have firsthand experience of how you are still so limited in that setting that you can't really prescribe them something unless you have an existing relationship with a physician group. And certainly you can't go home and, you know, identify all the home hazards that are causing them to fall down. Or, you know, you can't go home with them and check on their blood pressure or their blood sugars when uh, they're really struggling. And so this accessibility to the patient um, there's just so many benefits to it. And if we can couple the concept of pharmacists being the most accessible healthcare provider with the accessibility that mobile integrated healthcare provides, then it really is, you know, a perfect solution. And, and I do believe that, uh, that again, it goes back to a lot of the medication issues that these patient populations have and really how much benefit there is to that partnership. Yes, yes. Um, that's great. So if when you have this um, in the different communities that they are in, how do patients actually are able to reach out to you guys to get help? Good question. So the beauty of it is that it can really be structured or set up anyway. So definitely a lot of the most successful programs have some connection to the 911 call system so that patients who are frequently calling 911 can be kind of identified as, hey, this patient has called for shortness of breath four times this month. Maybe they would benefit from somebody going out and assessing what is the challenge, right? Is it that they don't have the medicine they need? They don't, they can't afford their inhaler. They don't have access to the pharmacy or transportation to get to the pharmacy to pick up their inhaler. Um, you know, or is it that they are, they got their power cut off and so they can't run their nebulizer machine? Or is it that they're living in a moldy environment where now the mold has, you know, triggered multiple COPD exacerbations? Or is it not not really uh, COPD at all. And maybe they're having panic attacks and that's why they're short of breath, right? Or like, what is it either medical or disease or socioeconomic that is causing them to call 911? Um, so, so I guess the root of your question, I get excited when I talk about it. All the <laughs> no way, problem. All I like it. I love the energy. Um, but your question was, 
how do they refer get referred into the programs or how how do the patients access this? Um, so the point I'm trying to make here is connecting through the 911 call system is beneficial for identifying patients in need. Uh, additionally, you know, having a partnership with the local health system so that case management at the health system can refer patients out even with local providers. So physicians should have the capability in any community to say this patient's in my office I, they have ABC insurance issues or, you know, they they don't they don't have the support they need at home or they're underemployed or whatever that is. And I think that they would benefit from a visit by the paramedicine team to help navigate some of these social challenges uh, to work right alongside our case management, you know, resources. And so physicians should have the capability to refer in. So I think that's the beauty also is that you know, these teams are capable of being adapted and operationally structured to, to meet the population that's in highest need and make sure that they get access to that care. All right. All right. Man, this is, I got so many questions. I'm thinking of them. Um, <laughs> I know you might have to have me back. I don't know. I, and, and as you can tell, I could talk about it <laughs> forever. So. Oh yeah. We might have to do like a live, like a YouTube live. And that way we can actually get people to like, um, ask their own questions on, about it some more. But um, my next question, because you are serving the, the underserved community, which will be uh, low income, um, things of that nature, and they might have a question, like how can they pay for this service? Because if they, like you said, they might not have power in the house to run the nebulizer machine. So they might not be able to afford the electric bill. They might not be able to afford going to the doctors. That's why they might not have a doctor. That could be that barrier. Um, and how can they just, how can they afford this? Or what's their way of paying for these type of services? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the key to funding in any community is figuring out um who these patients are costing money. Right? <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be that blunt about it, but that's, that's the way is. the world works, right? Yeah. So um, you're right. Patients, for the most part, are not going to be able to afford this service. I mean, there is the capability of setting up a concierge model. So mm -hmm. for if there's any concierge physicians or anything like that listening, we, that's certainly able to be explored and done. But the the patients typically are not able to afford it. And so you have to figure out you know, how do I fund it? And you figure out how you fund it based on, uh, you know, who's suffering the most from these patients not getting the care that they need. So, you know, obviously there, uh, there is potential of health system funding. So if the uninsured patients are coming into the ER over and over, never paying their bills, you know, they're eating that money, right? Uh, readmission rates sometimes can fund uh, if a patient is, uh, or if a health system is really struggling with readmission rates, but that is probably a short-term option uh, and, and is probably not the best approach. There is probably the most success in either physician groups or payers who are ending up, um, you know, really uh, it, their profits are impacted, right? So, um, and, and I'm trying to figure out the way to say this in the most politically correct way. But if we if we have a patient that is costing Medicaid or Medicare, you know, one hundred thousand dollars a year because they've been hospitalized four times this year. If we can fix that, then yeah. that payer 
Medicaid, Medicare, Blue Cross, you name it, has a lot to gain from a profit standpoint. And so um, a lot of times we find that the most uh, impactful way is to actually have the payers or the physician groups fund the program. Okay, so I get what you're saying. Just to break it down in layman's terms, you will work with the insurance companies, the Medicaid, the Medicare, the Blue Cross, Blue Shield, CVS, Caremark, and say, hey, I see that with this demographic of people, you are spending two to three times more than you would with this demographic. I have a service that if we come into these communities, we can reduce your costs by that amount. Mm-hmm. If you fund these programs and obviously it's a win-win for everyone, they win by not having to spend excessively on per patient. You win Mm -hmm. by being able to go out into the communities and the patients win by being able to get the services that they actually need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of a beautiful setup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just it's figuring out how to get to, um, you know, get to the table with these groups. And 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 the funding is often one of the hardest parts. Right. Is figuring out, you know, who's going to fund it? Which population are you going to target? How do we uh, evaluate whether the program is effective? All of that. And then what processes are we going to actually set up as the intervention uh, in somewhat of a consistent manner, right? That can uh, can actually reduce costs in the long term, and so I think that's kind of my zone of expertise, right? Is so now we're we're funded, so like now how do we do it, right? <laughs> so um, I kind of say that you know I'm a mobile integrated health consultant, but that operational strategy and the training and education of the team, so that we can deploy them and then they know what to do, is is my zone of expert. Nice, nice. I feel like we could talk about this all day because I can <laughs> keep digging into it. It's so interesting because, like you said, just finding different ways to actually like work at the top of your license as a pharmacist. Like what you're doing is that, right? You're mm-hmm. putting us in a position where we can actually do those MTMs. We can go out because, as a retail pharmacist, our main thing is really wanting to connect with our patients. And Mm -hmm. we don't have the time to fully connect with them at at the pharmacy because metrics, you want to make sure that you meet metrics with getting patients and prescriptions in and out as quickly as possible. And this right here gives the pharmacist time to actually sit down and figure out the patient, which will help them with their health, which will help with the metrics. We will help, you know, as that goes down, that snowballs in. Um, But yeah, this is, this is really good. Well, thank you. It's it's certainly something I'm passionate about. And again, you know, it started in saying yes to opportunities. And and then, you know, finally, I said enough is enough. I I feel a calling to do this. I know that um, and I've seen it firsthand that when we when we mobilize these teams, the health outcomes that are achieved and the access to care impact that we have for these patients is just phenomenal. And so, you know, that was, that was that. And I, and I'm in it, man. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, I devote every day to it. And um, it's been a really wonderful experience. I'm fortunate to be able to help uh, represent the pharmacy profession within MIH and continue to advocate for further interprofessional care. Nice. Nice. So I've got a couple more questions. 
Mm-hmm. Um, as being an entrepreneur, right? What do you think are some of the challenges of being an entrepreneur with starting this field as it expands and grows? You know, I think that not even relevant necessarily to MIH, but um, but anybody that is going to become an entrepreneur, it's just way harder, man. It's way harder than anybody. <laughs> I mean, now I think with the, with startup mentality and think people have a better awareness of how hard it is, but the it's hard in the sense of vulnerability. And, you know, as a woman, the people can interpret that however, however you want, but it's not because I'm a woman and I'm sensitive or anything like that. There's just so much vulnerability in general. If you're going to be an entrepreneur in any industry, there's, you know, financial risk. There is, um, there is the vulnerability that, uh, you have to literally put yourself out there. You have to do things like this, right? You have to do um, podcast interviews and write articles and step up and, and join organizations that are doing the change and get involved and go to conferences. And there's a lot of vulnerability with putting yourself out there like that, that people don't always love to do. There's vulnerability in the sense that um, you are going to fail, you're going to fail a lot. And I don't know how you are as a pharmacist, but a lot of pharmacists don't like to fail, right? (laughs) Um, A lot of really capable, intelligent, driven professionals don't like to fail. And, uh, And you are going to fail. If you are an entrepreneur, you are going to fail. For every yes you have, you're going to have 10 no's. For every step forward you have, it's going to feel like you took step two steps backwards, right? Getting there, you you have to learn how to fail forward and yeah. fail quickly and use it as kind of a stepping stone into your next success. And there's vulnerability in that. And you also have to be really self-aware. You have to, you have to recognize Mm, I am not doing this right. <laughs> I'm not doing this effectively. I have to pivot and switch it up or hire somebody else to do it or, you know, figure out a different strategy to help ensure it gets done. So, you know, all of those different areas, um, there's vulnerability with that. And so you got to get comfortable. Nice, nice. I understand that. Definitely being an entrepreneur myself um, with the feeling forward because a lot of times things just doesn't work out the way that you imagine it. But if you keep pushing forward, it will work out in one way, form or fashion to get you to Mm -hmm. the next step to keep pushing forward. Yeah, you got to you got to kind of be like scrappy, right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if you know Jamie Wilkie. Jamie Wilkie is um, she's another entrepreneur in the pharmacy space. Her focus is pharmacogenomics and helping pharmacists start their own pharmacogenomics the consulting work. But, um, you know, she had mentioned that one day she said, you got to learn to be scrappy. And I just relate to that so much because you can't give up and you have to figure out a way to, to have the grit and determination to continue to show up every day, even if yesterday wasn't a very good day. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So leading into that, what do you think are some keys or some characters, character traits that can lead you to success? You, hmm. 
I guess for me, the biggest one that I'm, the biggest concept I'm focusing on lately is progress over perfection. I tend to want to do everything perfectly and have like all my, you know, all my ducks in a row and all my T's crossed. And I think as pharmacists, we're driven to that super detail oriented uh, care and, and, and strategy because you know, if we don't make sure all of our ducks in a row, people get hurt, right? But in the field of entrepreneurship, you really do have to embrace progress over perfection because uh, you can you can get into decision paralysis really quickly. Yeah. And uh, the last thing you want is to stay stationary. You, you want to continue to move forward. So yeah, embracing progress over perfection has... And continues to be every day, you know, a strategy that I that I aim to implement. Nice, nice. So as we wrap this up, um, is there any words of wisdom or philosophy you like to share with everyone that's listening? I think that, you know, the number one quote or or mantra that I say literally every day is from Desmond Tutu. And I don't know if you, um, if the audience knows who Desmond Tutu is, but he was, um, he's from South Africa. He's a human rights activist. He recently passed away, but he is a Nobel Peace Prize winner and was basically instrumental in South Africa for helping achieve human rights and ending apartheid. And he just is such an inspiration to me because I can't imagine the undertaking that that was. And while in no way I compare my own journey and what I'm doing to the magnitude and the value of what he did, um, he had a, a quote, which is, how do you eat an elephant? Have you heard this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. And I feel that way all the time. I feel like there's so much to do and there's so many different projects that I'm working on at any given time and so many different hats that I wear from entrepreneur and mom to mom to these two crazy munchkins here <laughs> and a pharmacist and, uh, you know, a consultant and um, board service and travel and all of these different things, right? We all have all these different demands. And uh, within the realm of advocating for MIH and, uh, you know, feeling a personal calling and responsibility to help all of these, you know, millions of people across the United States who don't have access to the care that they need, it can feel overwhelming or daunting to manage and, and do all of this at one time. But I, I just focus on that. I focus on, okay, how do I eat an elephant? I'm doing it one bite at a time, one day at a time, one step at a time, one success at a time. And yeah, so I would say that is definitely a personal philosophy. Uh, so much so that my kids even now are like, I know mom, I know one bite at a time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So um, as we wrap this up, if anybody wants to reach out to you, wants to know more about the mobile integrated healthcare profession, um, how can they reach out to you if you would leave your like LinkedIn website so that they can get in contact with you? Absolutely. I'll leave it below. And, you know, I have actually, I can send you a link also. I just started okay. the Reinhardt's Rundown 
which is uh, basically short little videos with disease education, medication facts, like super short, like two to three minutes because we're all crazy busy. Um, so feel free to take a look at the Reinhardt's Rundown if that's helpful to you on a regular day to day to you know get additional exposure to not only that review, but the type of education that I provide to teams. Um, but reach out to me on LinkedIn, connect with me, send me a message. I have, uh, I might take a, a few days to receive because I don't like to accept people on LinkedIn without a personal message. I really try to send a quick message to everybody and like learn a little bit about people and make a little bit more of a genuine connection. So send me a message, send me a connection. I'd love to chat with you. And I think the same is, you know, if you want to talk about MIH and the associations and getting involved, we'd love to have you. So uh, I'm happy to be a resource. Nice, nice, nice. All right. So as we end this on Pill Talk podcast, this episode with Dr. Victoria Reinhardt's great episode talked a lot about the MIH field. I also wants to let you know that we will have a networking event with Pill Talk podcast uh, July 2nd in D.C. at Capo Lounge at Speak Easy. Uh, so make sure you check that out, too. So Dr. Reinhardt's Thank you for coming on Pill Talk Podcast. I really appreciate you taking out some of your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all that you do for the pharmacy profession and also advocating and, and helping people from you know uh, other professions and peer professions come on and share what they do. And I just appreciate what you and, and the Pill Talk Podcast do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, all right. 